Hello. Welcome to What It Takes to Be Wild. This is usually the part where a commercial is inserted, but wait, no, nope, no commercials. This podcast was made to encourage and support women to realize that no matter who they think they are, they can always become who they really want to be. Honestly, there's nothing fancy here. No famous people, no fancy editing, no unreal stories that we could ever not obtain. But there is something special here that you don't find many places. We interview what most people would call, quote, everyday women. Women who struggle with the same things you struggle with, who have worked hard to become the narrators of their own lives, and who are confident in the benefits of being vulnerable to help others. It's not easy to be a guest on this show. It requires courage and forethought and a sense that our audience is more important than oneself. This isn't easy, but it's generally a place where people land who have conquered their own demons and situations and feel empowered to support others in their own personal hero's journey. If you enjoy this homegrown show, please do three things for us right now. No, really, really, right now, right this second. Follow us on your current listening station. Right now, click follow. Two, give us a rating. Like right now, rate us. Five would be awesome. So we can grow our audience. And then the third thing is to like us on Facebook and share our message with your friends. Okay, well, I'm sorry. I guess that's four. But in taking a moment now to do these things, you may very well be a hero for at least one woman out there who can get something powerful out of our show even if you don't. So thank you for listening and go out there and kick some ass in your life. Welcome to What It Takes to Be Wild. My name is Grace and I am your host. What It Takes to Be Wild is a podcast created to encourage and support women to realize that no matter who they think they are, they can always become who they really want to be. We have a unique and special show for you today. I invited two lovely, intelligent, and very experienced ladies to the show to help us sort through some of the emotions we are having around COVID and the reality of this new life uncertainty. What kind of emotions are you experiencing around this uncertain time? Are you able to identify them, make use of them? These are some of the questions I invite you to ask yourself while listening to our show today. Welcome, ladies. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thanks. Yeah. So we got together today to share our stories and our experiences around uncertainty and the unknown. I think for the first time in history, the entire world is in a place where we have total uncertainty about what's next for ourselves, our families, our countries, and the world. And uh, in this time when we are forced to settle down and be quiet, many of us are experiencing a great deal of worry or anxiety about the future. Now we don't, as as ladies here, we don't have any magical answers, but it's an interesting topic to discuss and explore um, to see if we can find some personal strength and direction in this new world context. So I just want to start by everybody introducing themselves. So most people know me. I am Grace. I'm the host of the show. I am a skydiver and I have a professional background in nursing, entrepreneurship, and academic coaching for university students and executives. Um, I started this podcast to support women in overcoming the barriers to becoming who they have always wanted to be. Emily? 
Thanks. Um, I'm Emily Brauker, and I run Refresh Communication. And as a keynote speaker, I speak with nonprofits and corporate groups on how to create trust across differences and how to really leverage and harness the power of connection. I also do trainings on a similar topics, really focused on building trust in different contexts. And I also am a coach, helping people really figure out what's holding them back from making the connections that they, they really want and they really need specifically in a professional context. Thank you for being here, Emily. Thank you. Lindsay? Hi, I'm Lindsay Brown and I work currently as a communications and events director for Central Washington Home Builders Association. Um, kind of a new career spin for me. I have a background in education. Um, I went and got some more education down the line, uh, both in communication, organizational development. So Lots of different career paths for me, uh, but mostly focusing on communication. I also skydive, uh, which is how I got connected to you, Grace. And so I really appreciate you uh, inviting me on the show today to talk a little bit about my experience. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to hear from both of you. So I want to start with this, this concept of uncertainty, this uh, experience of an unpredictable and unreliable future. It evokes different feelings for different people. For some, it could actually be adventure or excitement or opportunity. And for others, it might be worry, anxiety, and doubt. How do you guys experience the unknown? For me, I think skydiving was one of those moments uh, that really became part of the unknown for me uh, and taught me a lot of different skill sets in terms of how to deal with those scary situations ahead. Uh, really being a skydiver, uh, by default, everybody around me in my general day-to-day -day life knows uh, us skydivers have a hard time not talking about it. Uh, it's pretty exciting. And so really I feel like um, as I entered that world and began exploring something that was new, nerve-wracking, unknown, and just downright scary, uh, I really did have to, I think, structure my thoughts around that uncertainty and, and how I was going to deal with it. And early in my skydiving career, as I began to explore this what I felt like was exciting and exhilarating experience, uh, but also fearful, I really started to dive into some of those self-help videos and start looking at how to deal with fear and how to deal with what's scary ahead of me. Um, and I found pretty clearly across the board, a lot of professionals who really recommended thinking about fear and uncertainty um, in terms of emotion. So there's this physical sense of fear that comes. Uh, you get all shaky and nervous and you're, you know, um, you start to sweat and your heart races and all of these physical sensations come forward. Uh, but those physical sensations are also shared with some different emotions besides just fear. Ultimately, when you're excited, those things also come true physically. So by taking that physical manifestation of fear and translating it in my mind emotionally to excitement, I think I was really able to see things different. Um, you know, often when you hear, if you're nervous or if you're scared, just try to calm down. But I think it's a real stretch to find yourself in a calm place when you're about to jump out of an airplane. Um, and so to then 
take that information and instead say, I'm excited, you're still in that aroused state. You're still in this place of um, your, your body is in fight or flight in a way, but you're instead translating that emotion of fear into opportunity. So instead of focusing on the negative, you're focusing on the opportunity and positives that can come out of it. Um, and that was one way I think that I was able to really experience uh, those emotions and translate fear or uncertainty, fear of uncertainty into um, a positive experience that really fed me and helped me kind of focus myself over those energies. Lindsay, I love what you're saying about um, what I hear you saying is this continuum, this kind of sliding continuum that we have along this uncertainty spectrum. And that's definitely what I've experienced as well, um, perhaps with some different uh, different contexts creating the uncertainty and fear. So my story um, with uncertainty probably started when I was seven, when my mom was diagnosed with cancer. Um, and at that point, parents weren't really telling me a lot about what was happening. I was young and this went on for seven years. And so I knew that she had a terminal illness. Um, we didn't know when she was going to pass away. She was given a couple of years, but she ended up lasting seven years. And then she passed when I was 13, 14. Um, and so that uncertainty was kind of in me. Um, and it's one thing she did teach me before she passed was a love of traveling. And so pretty much as soon as I could, like starting halfway through high school, I started traveling as much as possible. It was kind of this like, go, 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 get away. Like how there, there was kind of like a, a masochism in it of like, let's let's experience this uncertainty on a totally new level because that's what's familiar to me um and i went and i traveled for really long amounts of time in different countries you know now at this point i've been to 30 different countries living and working and researching um and a lot of the times i'd spend you know a month two months a couple years in these different places and so uncertainty for me has been often this being you know plopped down in a, in a country where I knew very little about how to get my basic needs met, how to, how to make new connections, how to speak the language. I mean, the, insert, the list of uncertainty goes on and on. And there are definitely times where it was just total adventure, you know, like I was in my, you know, twenties, it was like, I felt like I was invincible, like nothing. I wasn't worried about getting hurt. I didn't have a family um, of my own. And so it was just like, right, what's around the next corner? And it's like that uncertainty was so exciting. Um, but often in culture shock, specifically, the uncertainty was totally overwhelming. When it was like, what is this new reality that we're living, like I'm living in? And I've been thinking a lot about that, um, that kind of uncertainty during COVID as it's like, what I need to have totally new bearings. And it's, so uncomfortable because it's in my own house like what is a new reality in a place where i'm supposed to feel safe and at home um and so in terms of like <laughs> working with that that continuum of uncertainty um here not in an exciting other country where i'm getting new food and new clothes and new friendships but um at home with the two young kids <laughs> um yeah, I've been thinking a lot about that continuum of uncertainty and um, a couple of things that have helped me. And I think the main thing to know is that 
no matter where you are, that you have, I'm going to talk about myself, that I have some element of choice in the moment. Like even in moments where I'm really overwhelmed and fearful, um, my choice in that moment might be to turn towards the fear and like shake its hand and be like, I'm willing to be with you, buddy. <laughs> and and that in itself helps me to kind of take some steps back down towards it, the end of the continuum where it's like, where is this going to go? What is this new reality? I mean, we're not going back to an, uh, life as it was before. That's not there anymore. We're going into a new reality. And the thing that keeps me going and can turn me down the continuum kind of towards the positive exploratory aspect is kind of a mantra that I've been having in my head. And as I'm thinking and talking to clients and saying, you know, how can I support this next evolution is I want us to get to a place where we can say as a society, perhaps not as an individual, but as a society that COVID's the best thing that's ever happened to us. And that's, it's a hard one right now, but we've got to see our way out of this. Um, and I think for individuals, it's going to be very painful. And as a society, it's very painful. But um, that can be kind of the higher level curiosity that brings us back into the exciting part of uncertainty. Yeah, I love what you're saying. That I was just on a coaching education training this morning. And one of the participants said that it's an interesting to watch that COVID has made us all sort of go inside and and a lot of us do nothing. <laughs> and that, that has created this inner reflection where people are finding that, wait, life really wasn't working all that well before. Yeah. Um, maybe I, you know, have been on this hamster wheel that I don't actually want to be on. Um, and begin really thinking about shifting what they want going forward. And, and that many people have that opportunity even with their careers because they've lost jobs and they need to rethink what they're going to do going forward. And so there is this huge creative opportunity available to us. Um, in my experience, and, and Emily will relate to this because I lived with you <laughs> during this time, but um, when I was going through a divorce, I had, uh, you know, this story in my head that I I couldn't make it. Like I, I, I needed to get divorced and I left, but I, I wasn't going to make it. I don't know even what that means to this day, like really what that entailed, but some way I just was going to die or something. And so I had this ongoing deep seated anxiety such that I lost like 25 pounds and um, it was really difficult to eat. I didn't have a lot of money, if any at all. I mean, I, my dad was supporting me. My sister was supporting me. A little bit of work here and there was supporting me, but I couldn't sleep. And if I could sleep, I was so thankful for it because I escaped when I slept. And I did some, I saw an acupuncturist actually who said to me, well, what's wrong with this moment? And I was like, well, nothing's wrong right now, but there's going to be something wrong, you know? And I learned, he taught me how to get a stopwatch or a watch that had an alarm on it and set it for every hour. And every hour when it went off for one minute, I had to basically list what was present in the moment and everything that was okay. Like, I'm okay. I have food. I have home. I have friends. I have family. Like, 
every hour. And it was that practice that eventually, it took a long time, sank in and it sank in even more after the fact. So now I sit in COVID and I'm like, oh yeah, it'll all be okay. <laughs> because <laughs> I've been through it. I've been through all those moments where you're like, I'm not going to be okay. I'm not going to be okay. And then it all turns out in the end and you're like, oh wow, I wasted a lot of energy on worrying about whether or not it was going to be okay. Um, so you know what's so interesting what you're the way that you're phrasing that is reminding me of so I've birthed two kids and there's a moment you know you have to dilate to 10 centimeters to get these little kiddos out in you know if you're giving birth vaginally and at nine centimeters you're in transition is what they call it which is extremely painful on your body and the doctors and midwives and doulas always say, we know you're in transition because you're going to start shouting, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. And they, it's like completely predictable. And so it makes me think like whenever we hear ourselves say, I can't do it to, you know, to think of like, that's the transition into birth, into the new, into new life. Like when you've, your body is revved up enough that it's like, no, like the final jump, you know? Um, and that it takes people around you to remind you because they're like, I know you're going to be hijacked and we're going to say this to you. And it totally happened. Total, both births totally happened. <laughs> Emily, that's funny that you say that because I feel like that is the exact experience I have when I skydive. When I was learning to skydive, I had coaches, I had people around me who as soon as that door opened, that was the transition moment. The cabin fills with air. All of a sudden, your hair is blowing and oh my gosh, this is real. Um, and there are definitely those moments of, okay, you're going to start panicking. I can't do this. I'm not sure. And you have the people around you to support you. And I, I think that was something that was definitely helpful for me. But there was a, a part um, earlier that you said that really, I think, resonated with me uh, when you said, when you experience that fear to kind of shake its hand uh, and embrace it in a way, I think fear is a completely normal part of life. Um, right now we're experiencing an heightened sense of fear that is somewhat unbearable, especially to people who don't typically experience those fearful moments. And now we have no way to get around it. Um, but what you do with that fear and how well you shift that fear into that opportunistic look, I think definitely can determine how well you're able to see those opportunities. You know, to be able to act fearless in a way, you have to acknowledge and confront that fear and own it. Um, you can change the story you're telling yourself about what that fear means, but you still have to sit in it for at least a while. Um, what I think is we have to be careful not to do is to sit in it for too long. What you focus on grows. So if you continue to focus on that fear, it continues to grow. And so to be able to focus sometimes on the outcomes that you want can help you make that transition. But owning that fear, shaking its hand, if you will, um, I think definitely helps you in recognizing that. What do they say? You can't change what you won't acknowledge. If you don't acknowledge that you're fearful, it's it's hard to transition out of that or see things any other way. It's it, an interesting thing in I've found in in kind of turning towards the fear is that it actually feels a lot more like like I'm actually way closer to reality now because a lot of the fear of uncertainty 
that's heightened right now is based on the fact that we delusionally felt certain before, <laughs> you know, like we actually did not know what was coming next. We had a certain degree, I think, especially in the U.S., we were privileged with a certain ability to, to know what's coming next, a very predictable life, which is not the experience of a lot of people in the world. Um, but in recognizing, you know, our mortality, the fact that we, whether or not we're in a high-risk population, we're all at risk. There is a risk, but it, there's always a risk. <laughs> and there's a lot of, you know, Buddhist meditations where you just go and you sit and you imagine your body decomposing and you just recognize the impermanence of reality. And it, the weird thing is that when you turn towards something that scary, you come out realizing like, oh, now I'm awake. Now what's around me? This is exciting. I'm still here, you know? And meanwhile, if you don't turn towards the fear, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. But it it has its its role, you know. Not to say that I'm not, you know, like I've got this fear thing totally <laughs> figured out. But I have my moments because I've been focusing on this question of uncertainty for a long time. <laughs> sure. Well, I feel like we're witnessing a lot more bravery than we can really recognize. Um, by people staying at home, experiencing these isolating emotions and these uh, fearful thought patterns. Um, bravery doesn't always feel very brave. Um, and by committing to keeping yourself healthy, keeping others healthy, and embracing what is inevitable at this point in terms of um, the stay-at-home kind of pattern, um, we're all experiencing these fluttery emotions of fear, uncertainty, uh, you know, whether it's just physical fear, emotional fear, these thought patterns that drive us wild, drive us mad. Um, the, you know, those of us with families at home having to not be able to escape like normal and take, you know, get out of there when necessary. Um, I think even through all these terrifying experiences that we might feel, it's still brave. It's continuing to press on even when you're feeling that uncertainty. It's continuing to do what is best for you in your situation through all of those experiences. And everybody's affected in some way or form and they're very different. And these are the conversations I'm having with friends of mine. I live alone. I don't have kids and pets and other things that are crowding my space. So I'm living in isolation that's really difficult while some of my friends would just kill for that moment of being alone because their families their kids the the spaces they're living in are just overwhelmed and so it's we're all feeling it in some form or fashion it's it's very personal to each of us but to be able to take that and try to see opportunity i feel like has been one of the best ways to you know experience that fear shake its hand if you will have this um very interesting class that I'm taking on emotions and they define emotions as having three components. One is that there's a story related to an emotion, that there's an impulse that the emotion gives you, like it, there's an energy behind it. it. It's meant to do something. And so therefore it also has a purpose. So this story, impulse, and purpose behind an emotion. And that's how you can identify that when you name an emotion, that it is an emotion as you can identify those three things. 
I think it would be interesting to hear those three things for a few emotions. It's really distinguishing. It really can shift the way you think about things. So for fear, the story is, I believe something may harm me and I am clear what it is. The impulse is to avoid perceived danger and the purpose is to help you avoid danger. Then you look at anxiety, which we often get entangled with fear. And the story is, I believe something may harm me, but I don't know what it might be. The impulse is to worry and be alert for danger. And the purpose is that it warns me of possible danger, even if I can't identify what it is. So even just that subtlety of knowing and not knowing is a difference between fear and anxiety. So it's interesting to understand the nuances of emotion and how learning them and being with them, like you say, saying, hi, fear. Oh, I know what my fear is or hi, anxiety. I don't know what's going on can lead us to a level of um, acceptance of what is and understanding. Lindsay, you talked about courage. So I want to do just two positive ones. So courage, the story is I can do it even though I'm afraid. The impulse is to to be able to act in the presence of fear. And the purpose is it gives me the possibility to be very effective in the world, even when fear is present. So that courage is a very strong one. And so it can be, can be an interesting exercise to move from that fear into courage as a more predominant emotion. And then the other one Emily mentioned was curiosity. And the story is, tell me more, I want to explore and learn. And the impulse is to look for more information. And the purpose is it keeps me learning, engaged in life, and looking for new possibilities. So I just wanted to share those because it's, it's a totally different way of looking at emotions and how we can use them in our lives. And if they're serving us or not serving us. So when we look at an emotion and say, wow, that fear is really not serving me, what would serve me better? Well, courage would serve me better right now. So where can I practice courage? And what does that look like for me? Wow, Grace, I think that's really powerful. Uh, I definitely can resonate with that in in that transformation of emotion and and trying to choose something that serves us better. Um, I think it's really, I don't know, captivating uh, to consider that you can really take a hold. I think early on we were talking about that, where you have a choice in the matter. You know, I think Emily said that you have a choice in the matter on where you sit. Um, and so by by choosing to see things differently, you can ride that wave of fear um, in a different state. Uh, I've heard it mentioned a few times before um, in other contexts, but you know where what is the story that we're telling ourselves? Um, whether it's our perceptions of somebody else, our perceptions of fear, our perceptions of our own situation, what is the story that we're telling ourselves? yeah, i'm I've been finding that when I'm anxious about this bigger context, there's a particular target for my anxiety, which is my husband. (laughs) Bless his heart. (laughs) And it like literally doesn't need to be him. It could be anything. Like this need for story is so compelling with emotions. And he's just an easier target than my kids because my kids are enough to handle (laughs) without a story. (laughs) And it helps to identify the story as a story. I resonate with the the emotions that you're bringing up, and I 
want to add another, which has just been so big for me, is grief and letting go. And like we're being asked to let go of so many levels at the same time that we're experiencing all this fear. And it makes me think of, so I'm not someone who was originally very emotionally literate. (laughs) I'm from the Northeast where it's like puritanical values, don't express your emotions, they don't have a place here, you know, be as professional as you can, be as emotionally restrained as you can, which in the end did not serve me as the emotions just like bottled up. So I was someone who had to like learn it as I go. So that's something that helps translate into my coaching work because it's not just like, here's my instinct. It's like, here's how I learned about this. But one th- one tool I stumbled upon, it, I, I get really overwhelmed trying to identify what I'm feeling. Um, I'm not very good at kind of addressing things sequentially. And so one thing I did was I went to the nonviolent communication website. And there they have all these printouts. And one of the printouts that they have is emotions. And it's literally like all of your positive and negative emotions, just the words for them. And so I put them each on note cards, individual note cards, grief, sadness, excitement, you know, all these. And I would sit in the middle of the floor. And like, if, if something was up for me and I couldn't really understand it, and I would just literally go through this stack of note cards until something just in my body resonated. And then I'd put it down and I, and I just trust my gut. Like this wants to be over here at 11 o'clock. This wants to be at three o'clock. This wants to be close to me. This wants to be far away. And then they'd usually end up with a couple right in front of me, which is the ones that are really up. And then the second I identified them as up, they'd want to shift to somewhere else. And sometimes they'd be gone and then sometimes they'd be nearby. And it's just been such a simple and a f- helpful way for me to move into that Daniel Siegel name it to tame it type of approach of like, okay, these emotions are coming and going. They're real as I experience them in my body and they're shifting and they're not going to be here forever. Might be a little bit more of an approachable non-impermanence um, meditation than <laughs> meditating on your body decomposing. But that's something I found super, super helpful for me. I'm right there with you. I am, I'm learning it through this class. And um, so there are, you can get these cards. They're called Emoli cards, E-M-O-L-I. They're cards for emotional literacy. And um, they're not like, they don't encompass every single emotion under the sun, but it's a good chunk. Um, And it's the same thing. You just kind of like spread them out in front of you and figure out which one resonates. And then you can flip them over and you get the story, the impulse and the purpose. And that can really help identify like, okay, is this actually the emotion or is it something else? And where did that story come from? And is that, should I reality check that story? Is it true? So yeah, but I am right there with you. I've been doing that too lately. And I'm like, oh God, I had no idea. (laughs) I was experiencing like three emotions at once, you know? And then like the layer for me that was always surprising, it's like, I'm not actually experiencing grief. I'm experiencing the fear of grief. Mm. or the fear of something. And like, then fear was layered upon all these different emotions. And I'm like, wait, but yeah, back to your practice, like, wait, this isn't happening. <laughs> like, This mm-hmm. isn't, wake up, it's not happening right now. Yeah. And just speaking of, you know, you talked about grief and the loss, essentially, that we're all experiencing to one extent or another, and some to a much greater extent. Uh, you know, emotions, it's really interesting, because emotions are this like, 
ambiguous sort of like mush. And so as we start to call them out, there really isn't a like dictionary of emotions that's a hundred percent true. It's it's really like what what does it mean for you? It's important, I think, to understand that these are very personal, but there are trends, right? There are ways that we can understand them. There are stories we can put to them to help us sort through what we're dealing with. And um, grief is actually um, a somatic experience. So it's actually, you know, that feeling where, you know, if you lose a family member, or a dog or something, it feels like your heart is being ripped out. Like that's a somatic experience. That's grief. And sadness is actually the emotion accompanying grief with the story of, I lost something I care about. The impulse is to grieve. And the purpose is, it shows me what I care about. It shows me what my values are. So one of the emotions that can be, if you want to, I don't know if combat sadness is the right word, but um, complement it in a way to help you move through sadness and grief is gratitude. Um, And the story is life and everything that is a part of it is a gift. The impulse is to appreciate all that I have received for free. And the purpose is that it makes me realize life is a gift and not something I take for granted. It's interesting to think about grief uh, in all of this. I mean, really getting to the core of what grief is. We go through different stages during that time. Um, You know, the denial, well, this virus won't affect me. There's anger, you know, oh, I have to stay home. Um, Bargaining, you know, uh, well, if I stay home for two weeks, then everything will be fine. Uh, You know, I'm kind of going through all of these different, you know, Grace, you mentioned sadness. I'm not sure when this will end. And um, and then really finally accepting it that I have to figure out what I have to do to proceed. I think the acceptance is really where that power lies. Um, I can wash my hands. I can safely distance. I can work from home virtually. I can figure out what's next for me, whatever those things may be. Um, however, that you know, emotional pain leads to a physical manifestation, even by accepting that is the only way you can get into that place of I think gratefulness. Um, and even then it's not linear. It doesn't go from one to the next to the next. You jump between those emotions. I mean, I feel like I've, I've had this back and forth between, oh man, maybe this is all overreaction to, oh my gosh, this is really serious to back to that. Oh man, this is really our economy. And what am I going to do? And how are we going to figure this out back to, you know, well, the people matter and their lives matter more. And so there's never this one clear cut step by step because we all tend to experience those emotions just like that roller coaster experience. I was describing to my husband the other day like that I felt I felt like I, in the last week and a half I'm in a new stage of like we can like the Kubler Ross model or culture shock W curve model are very relevant here. There, there's a lot of overlap there. What I've been experiencing is that the new, like the first couple of weeks, I was experiencing such high intensified experiences of rage one day and sadness the next day and apathy and despondency the next day. And I would definitely say those emotions are still present. But it's almost like I opened the door to them and I'm, they're becoming more familiar in this context and in the story that they're bringing in. It's like, it was so shocking at first to be experiencing rage. I'm not very, like anger is not a familiar emotion to me. And to be experiencing rage, I'm like, I don't know what to do. But now when it comes up, it's like, oh, 
there you go again. Like, okay, I know (laughs) you're here for a reason. And I haven't had the time and space to really focus on my experience of those emotions in a process. And as I think of like, you know, how we can move this forward, a lot of, a lot of my work now with corporations and and nonprofits and, and coaching are around having those difficult conversations around race, around our privilege and making, making it okay to be uncomfortable. And I'm just noticing, you know, like, is, how is this going to translate? How is this knowledge of like emotions being intense at first and then really uncomfortable at first, but then when I'm used to them and they come back again, I can be more familiar with them. Um, I think that if we're conscious in this process and intentional, we can be applying the tools that we're learning right now to future situations that are intensely uncomfortable. There's a place this can go that's productive as long as we don't just sit back. Um, There's a, a friend of mine talks about a model he uses that in any situation, you can either be a prisoner, a tourist, or a learner. And so you can either just say like, no, I don't want to be here. This, oh, this, I don't want to be in my home. Or you can be a tourist, which is like, lay back, whatever. I'm going to watch everything on Netflix and do whatever. And you know, whatever comes next, or you can be a learner and you can be like, what's happening now that I can understand, perhaps do better the next time it comes up and then apply it in the future. Um, not, I'm not going to say that I'm a learner all the time in this, but that, that shift helps me at times to just recognize I just became a total prisoner, you know, and that's my choice. Like that's, that's a model, again, pointing at choice in this. Well, I'm definitely going to say I have binged Netflix like there's no tomorrow. I would if I had time. If I didn't have a two and four-year-old, I would be binging like no other. So I'm not going <laughs> to shame that process. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm right there with you with all the emotions. I ended up getting coaching cause I was like, I don't even know what to do with this. Cause you know, I was like one inch away from a designed life that I created and the whole, that just all came down and, you know, I had to turn to things to make sure we had income coming in and that we we're taken care of. And I'm grateful for those opportunities to have that. But, you know, after at least 15 years of working on a life that I wanted to create, having it be right there at my front door and then not being able to open the damn door was, was pretty, pretty, uh, angry. I made me very angry. I think I've, I've moved to acceptance now just through coaching help and understanding like what may be happening now, maybe an even more powerful prerequisite to, um, what I have been creating and what I want to create and to look at it as a stepping stone that could be generating something much more powerful than if I had opened that door. And I do have some trust in the universe. You know, I do have that. It doesn't mean that I don't get angry at it every once in a while, but I do have trust that, you know, the energy I've put in comes back in a positive way. So what, what advice would you leave people with? Uh, well, it's just funny thinking about this idea of experiencing these emotions and getting comfortable with them. I think that definitely resonates. There's almost this exposure therapy to some really challenging things and you become to a bit more just competent at handling those and understanding them. But one of my biggest, I think, advice items would be to really embrace 
those emotions um, in a way that's healthy um, for you in a way that helps you understand them. Uh, this is forcing us all to be uh, very in tune with where we are emotionally, whether we really want to or not. Um, there's not a whole lot of escaping it. Um, and so using that, recognizing it, becoming aware of what you're really feeling, and then taking choice in that moment, I think. Um, you know, you mentioned even yourself, Grace, getting some coaching. I think life coaching in these times could be really helpful for a lot of people to help themselves get a third party involved. Um, you know, you can't always think through that with the people who you're sometimes wanting to get away from in your household or, you know, that you're spending so much time with. I mean, we can definitely encourage people to talk to the people around them and reach out to those who help them think through those things. But um, I have a friend, Cindy Stroop, with uh, Over the Edge Life Coaching, and she was somebody who through, you know, just before we kind of reached these scary times was somebody who helped me kind of sort through the emotions of things that I was experiencing. And um, when I was pursuing new career, that was a really hard time. Now, this is definitely unprecedented fears that are heading us now that are very different than just, oh, a career change. Many people are facing what is with my current career. I wasn't planning a career change and now having to face items that like that. Um, and so thinking about reaching out to help, uh, I think, is, is something that anybody who's really finding themselves in those moments should consider. It's definitely, you know, if you want to be a learner, reaching out for that kind of support is almost essential because, you know, you can only get so far with what you currently know to have your perspective shifted or challenged or, you know, to be able to look at things differently is the way to learn through this experience, I think. Yeah, I would say my advice is um, along similar lines, recognizing that choice, um, you know, one thing that has reoriented me in moments of great discomfort, like an experience I had recently walking into a mosque here in Boulder, Colorado, thought I was going to have friends with me, ended up going alone. And then there was a meal and where did I sit? And I was just really confused as to like, you know, how to not offend someone. Should I just jump on my phone? And um, I just asked myself, what, what kind of life do I want to live? Like, who do I want to be? And that question in that moment reoriented me to like, oh, I want to be someone who's engaged with their surroundings and learning new things and curious. And I was able to, to look up from this like hyper-focused attention that happens when we're in a fear state into a more expanded perspective, which is when we're in a more higher brain, we're moving out of the fear state. And so in these moments where we're finding ourselves spinning about what comes next, creating stories, you know, intense emotions, you can kind of short circuit and intervene on that process just by asking yourself, what kind of life do I want to live? And we're being asked to be super creative with that, you know, in any context, whether it's me with my kids or Lindsay, you home alone, like it's any, any context it's kind of like we're on, you know, what was it? I guess maybe Apollo 13 or Apollo 8 or something when they're like on the moon and they're like, we have these four objects to solve this problem. How do we do it? So <laughs> and true. that's, that's kind of where we are now. It's like, I have these, 
this is the context to create and manifest the life that I want to live. It's not starting when this ends. We don't know when it ends. It's starting now. And what does that, what does that mean for me? Um, and I know that's something that I'm, I'm trying to bring into a daily practice. And I put it on my wall because I can't remember it. <laughs> um, so that's, uh, yeah, I think it's up to us to shift our perspective and also to be compassionate with ourselves when it's hard to shift perspective. And I love that, Emily. I think <laughs> compassion, giving yourself grace, giving yourself the permission to feel, to not be super productive like everybody else seems to be, um, and to just give yourself permission to experience um, this. We may never experience something this like this again. Hopefully not. <laughs> so I want to leave our audience with a couple more emotions. One is acceptance. And the story is, it is so, even though I may not agree, endorse, or like it, the impulse is to relax and be at peace with what is, and the purpose is to help me align with reality. That often is confused with resignation. One of my favorite quotes from a meditation teacher, Adya Shanti, he said um, that he said enlightenment was perfect cooperation with the inevitable, and it has been a mantra for so long for me. It's just, it's acceptance feels a little strong, resignation feels a little weak but cooperation, I can handle, you know? <laughs> yep. And often we have to meet in the middle, like tolerance yep. is, is a step toward acceptance. Um, we often can't get there because the emotions are just too difficult, you know? The other one is trust. Um, the story is, I am not taking excessive risk. The impulse is to coordinate action or interact. And the purpose is it lets me interact with other people or entities safely. Thank you for sharing those. Yeah. So ladies, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was awesome. I really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you for having us. It was really great to hear from both of you about where you're going with all this as well. Absolutely. I think uh, feeling like we're not alone uh, is, is more timely than ever. Yes. Absolutely. That was Emily Brauker and Lindsay Brown, both women trained in communications and who have done a lot of their own internal work with emotions and personal growth. Are you interested in becoming a learner during this stressful time? In the description, you'll find a list of resources to support you in your own personal journey, including contact information for both Emily and Lindsay so you can ask your questions. Until next time, be bold and be wild. Be wild.